for Subnautica and Subnautica Below Zero, which just launched recently, and is a sequel, correct, David? This is... It's a sequel, yes? correct. Yes, that is what we're telling everybody. That is the, the truth of the matter. Uh, I asked that question because I feel like this started off life, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it started off life as sort of a DLC to the original Subnautica, and then just grew and grew into what is a full sequel. And is that a misrepresentation of what this is? Is that actually how this came to be? Uh... That's pretty close, but I, I don't think we ever really intended it for it to be a DLC properly. Like we did, we did have smaller aspirations originally. Uh, it pretty quickly became a standalone expansion, and that was sort of what we thought we were making for a long time. And after a certain period of time, we're like, we just built an entire new world, a new story. There's all this new stuff to play with. Like it feels like a sequel, so that's kind of the that's the the line now that we're giving people. It's apt because it is a full sequel and for whatever reason maybe i was not even thinking this but when i booted it up and i got into it i was shocked by how quickly i realized how big this game was the same way i right. was the first time i played subnautica it seems maybe because it's a smaller team maybe because it's an indie game these games are very deep and there's a lot going on in these what is the process of making these because they are they're substantially more involved than i think people might think when they just see the box or see people playing in these games they have a lot going on in them yeah, uh, the process of developing is long and complicated and thorny, as you might imagine. I mean, I had never worked on an open world game of this scale before, so there, there is like, there's just a lot of complication in kind of like laying out the world and assembling it and trying to make the experience coherent across the board. Um, yeah, there's a ton of moving parts, and we we're doing it all in early access, so you know, dealing with. You know, incoming fan feedback as you're going, trying to, like, figure out how things work. So, um, yeah, a lot, lot to it, actually. If we can talk about fan feedback for a second, this game and sure. it's uh, the original game from which it spawned both have a pretty engaged uh, fan base. They're very active online. In fact, I found out about it, and I found out about it as somebody who's, you know, covering the industry just from seeing it all the time. I had heard about it. And then I just, everywhere I looked, people were talking about Subnautica, and it kept coming up in completely separate conversations, and that's how I kind of get into the game. So it is very engaged. How much do you, how much do you implement fan feedback when you're developing a game? Is there a danger in listening too much to your fans? What's the sort of give and take between the studio and the fan base? Yeah, for sure there's a danger in kind of listening too much. Well, I guess there would be if maybe we weren't as experienced uh, as developers. I mean, the general approach is that, um, you know, there are active parts of the community that we're engaged with, uh, that we're, we're cultivating, you know, like our Discord. Our community manager, very, you know, several members of the team are like, at, you know, on our Discord, hanging out with people, talking to them. So, like, you're really into Subnautica and, you know, you want to share your base design or, like, talk about the game and speculate about the story and get excited about every release. That's kind of where you go, and that's where we talk to people and kind of hear what they're saying. Um, but, you know, I think we, we create this separation really intentionally where we're like, um, you know, like, we are listening, and we never, you know, we, t we will... Um, 
you know, we kind of we do things on behalf of the community. We, we show them when we are reacting directly to their feedback, but we don't promise them things in advance. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like they might think that they're, you know, that there's something that really is in need of attention and we'll take that information in and just kind of process it and think about it from a developer's perspective and try to make the right decision for the game always and um, not strictly just based on whatever the community wants. But oh, With Below Zero changing, I mean, there's obviously lots of new biomes, but the overall, you're on a new planet, it's completely different from the first one. Did it start with that idea? Um, where did the idea to have this frozen place come from and then how does that setting influence um, how different the game is from the original. Not just in story, but I mean, there's new creatures, there's new biomes. I imagine that all comes from the setting at the beginning. Uh, largely, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the game that is, you know, I mean, like the, the sort of primary storyline after you arrive on this planet to figure out what happened to your sister is that you meet this alien, this precursor architect alien, and download him into your brain. Um, As you do. go on an adventure to build, yeah, to build him a body and help him get back to his home world. Um, so none of that really is connected to the, the Arctic theme. The Arctic theme, I think it just, I think it's just a classic, like, ah, this kind of would look cool. Like, this is a cool variation on the theme, you know, visually. So it's kind of driven by art, and I think they were, you know, attracted to, you know, some kind of like, you know, like an al- like a frozen alien world is oh. sort of a, a way to differentiate. And then that does filter into, like, creatures and set locations and, um, yeah, decisions about gameplay. You know, we have all this surface gameplay now. Speaking of the gameplay, and especially, I guess, the uh, the surface gameplay, because there is quite a bit more of this being on a frozen planet, um, the temperature... I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the word management, I guess, is the best word, temperature mm-hmm. management. Sure. Uh, I've had a couple people ask me who hadn't played the game and I was trying to get them into the game, um, yeah. do I have to manage temperature on top of everything else in this game? And I was glad to say that when you're underwater, you really don't have to worry about that, which I think would have been maybe too much because I'm already doing food and water and my health. And, right. When was that decision made? Was it always just, we don't want to mess with that? Like, when you're on land, like, you have to kind of keep an eye on it. It's not like a, an overwhelming system, an overwhelming problem that you have to. How do you balance that? Because I think maybe people who haven't played the game or are unfamiliar with it, they hear the setting, they think that's going to be a big part of it because it is also a survival game. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we it took a long time for us to kind of settle on the, the surface gameplay, like mm-hmm. the system surrounding like body temperature management, like, you know, it started with this much more elaborate thing and like we built this weather simulation, which is still present where there's like different modes of weather and they're uh, affecting survival conditions in various ways, you know, like the, a blizzard will come and kind of wipe things out so it's hard to know where you're going. Um, a lot of that stuff didn't didn't work the, same, the way we wanted to, so we kind of fell back on this simplified, like, hey, you just have... Um, you know, you got a body temperature. If it gets, if you're exposed, it goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things you could do to mitigate that. You can build a cold suit, put it on. You can bring a thermos of coffee with you, warm up. Um, and like, you know, very the changing weather conditions can also affect your body temperature. But as far as like separating it from the underwater, um, it's sort of logical, I think. But I don't know if everybody really gets it. But like, you know, water can't be below right. zero. Right. Like, <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Water form, so, uh, so yeah, so when you're swimming and, like, you're wearing this, like, advanced sci-fi wetsuit kind of thing, um, you're not going to freeze. However, if, you, if you're underwater and you stop moving, uh, body temperature can come into play. Um, but, of course, that's not something that most people do. I didn't think I noticed that. Wow. Yeah, you kind of have to be like, you just put the controller down, so 
it's not actually that interesting of a feature. <laughs> like, like I step away from the controller and then I die. But that's true underwater anyway. You could drown if you're not, if you're not careful. So. Uh, does the team scuba dive? Did you guys do a lot of underwater research for this game? I snorkeled once during development. Uh, <laughs> I was living in Australia, and I, like my parents came to visit. We went to the Great Barrier Reef. Ah, um, nice. So that was pretty sweet. Um, but. Not not the Below Zero team. I mean, we haven't done anything together as a group for a couple of years now because of COVID. So um, we do get together periodically, but there haven't been any, any big scuba trips. But the team's like all over the world. So I think mm -hmm. we had eight time zones at our, at our peak. Wow. So a fair bit to manage, yeah. You know, this is the perennial question that I feel everyone has to ask now, but working through the pandemic, launching this at such an odd time, building a game across eight different time zones, what's it like? And then also... I mean, a lot of people did it over this last year. Is this the new right. way that games can be made? I mean, there's no reason they can't be made this way. It just requires, like, a different mindset and, you know, different tools. So, you know, I think a lot of my friends who work at game studios that are, you know, built around a physical location, you know, and they believe really strongly, like, oh, we've got to, like, be close. i got to be able to come and, like, look over your shoulder and, and talk to you about this thing that you're working on. Uh, have realized that that's not always that's not as true maybe as they thought it was. Mm -hmm. um, especially nowadays, just you know, video chat, you know, streaming desktops, um, all the stuff, the collaborative software that we use, like you know, like Nero. You've got this virtual whiteboard software now that that actually works and is fun to use and is expressive. <laughs> like in some ways, it's better than a regular whiteboard. Um, so I don't know. We were lucky because we we're already doing this. Um, I think for other people it was a bigger adjustment, and it probably and it really isn't for everybody individually. I uh -huh. think some people really need a little bit more like FaceTime, definitely um, not not Apple FaceTime. You know, I, I got you. Not the app FaceTime, actual face to face. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, actual human contact. What a, what a concept! Uh, as I mentioned earlier, and we talked about a bit, this game is a lot deeper. I, I feel like, sorry, that almost sounds like a backhanded compliment. I don't mean it that way. I'm just, the game has a depth that I was not expecting to have both times. No, that sounds great. Uh, I don't mean to say like, oh, I expected something less, but it, it does. It's a very deep game. Okay. And the story and the lore and the worlds that you've built in both of these games and how they've kind of added onto each other begs the question from lots of people, is there going to be a third one? But beyond just having a third one, you've built out this massive system here. Is there any, I mean, do you want to abandon this world that you've built now? Is this sort of what Unknown Worlds now is looking at, is just living in the Subnautica universe? Uh, no, we're doing new things. I mean, so, so Charlie Cleveland, who was the you know creative director on the mm -hmm. first game, uh, led the first game's development. He's been working on a new thing for several years. Um, so that should be announced and shared pretty soon, I think, sometime this year, hopefully. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then there's another group of us that are exploring totally new concepts, trying to find something something else to work on. I think there will definitely be more Subnautica. It's gonna be a while. Like we'll probably do the the you know the like. Let's start with a new engine, build you know, get new tools built, explore some angles that we hadn't looked at before. You know, like like everybody wants <laughs> multiplayer. Like we'll look at multiplayer much more closely. Um, but there's also a live team. Like we have, we have people who are dedicated to like keeping an eye on Subnautica and Below Zero mm -hmm. and continuing to support them. You know, like we look at a game like No Man's Sky or something that like has a real life after after it shipped. I mean, their situation is a little different because they had a lot of disappointed people when they first released, but they have continued to go back and add more and like make the product, make the game more 
um, more interesting to people who love it and want to keep going. So I to do something similar for in the meantime. That's interesting to hear. So you see it as a game with a very long tail then? And then is that true of both games or just yeah. Below Zero that we're talking about right now? Yeah, both games. I mean, Subnautica still uh, is still selling. And, oh, yeah. and um, yeah, they're both, they've both done very well for us. So, you know, just from the business perspective, it's like we are going to continue to take care of it. And there's just enough people playing. We want we want to support our fans and, like, give, give them more ways to experience what we build. I apologize. reasons to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this might put you on the spot a bit, so I apologize if that's what I'm doing. But what would what does multiplayer look like in Subnautica? What would multiplayer look like in Subnautica? Well, I have no idea except for the fact that we did play the Nitrox multiplayer mod recently uh, in the studio, um, which is, you know, it's a community-built multiplayer add-on for the original game, which is kind of amazing that it works at all, that people were able to do this. Um, <clears throat> I was an engineer for most of my career, so I'm not, like, I'm not oblivious to the challenges in, like, getting multiplayer working, but I've never worked on a proper multiplayer game, and, like, just, just to, like, bolt that onto an existing uh, piece of software is pretty impressive. So that actually works. You could go play multiplayer for Subnautica, um, but it's not a polished experience, you know? It's, like, the, all the story stuff is broken. Um, you know, like anybody can trigger any story event anywhere in the world. So there were like 12 of us on a server, and it was like just this constant stream of PDA talking to you. Um, so there's a balancing act there. Like, okay, well, e even if we just the minimum thing of like putting, you know, four people on a server together and they could, you know, share, share their items and build bases together and like go on a, you know, get in the submarine and go somewhere on a trip, like just getting all that story stuff working and building around that. One of the reasons we haven't explored that internally is just, we didn't build Subnautica for it. Yeah. So it's, it'd be a major technical headache to, to try and retrofit it. So we figure like if we do it, we're going to do it for a future version, a future game, you know, and do it properly from the ground up. Can we talk creature design for a second? I love a lot sure. of the creatures in this, um, with one big exception, which I'll get to later. <laughs> um, where does the ideas for these come from? And there's such a wide breadth of different animals, and uh, particularly the leviathans, um, which I guess are everyone's favorites, but also they hate them. Um, where do these come from? How do they? How do you kind of come up with the ones that are going to make it into the game? Are there lots of designs that didn't make it in that might come up in a Subnautica three? There are some designs that got cut just because, you know, we're trying to keep the production relatively under control. Um, and it was, it was way over time and over budget anyway. But, um, yeah, I think it, it, like a lot of the creative stuff, a lot of the visual stuff in our game is just driven by art. Our art director, Corey Strader, like works with several concept people. Uh, there were a couple in particular, um, who were, um, we're really critical, I think, to like giving Subnautica creatures their identity. Like um, Alex Reese is one of them. Uh, Pat Presley is another. Um, and we share a lot of that concept art, like on our on our public Favro and stuff. People are interested in seeing where things come from, but I think they're largely just kind of taking Earth creatures and Earth fish and you know, kind of twisting them, uh, perverting them in a way. You know, perverting kinda, them, I love it. Yes. Making them alien and horrible and yeah. scary, you know, like, oh, it's a cute little penguin, but its beak is a shark, it's, <laughs> you know, in size, they're like, um, 
so yeah, so just a little bit of like playing with uh, with familiar reference. And I think that's like one of the secrets to Subnautica. Actually, is that like we're we're playing like even though it's alien, we're we're based on stuff that's really familiar. You know, like yeah. you're swimming underwater, and it does like it kind of feels like the experience of snorkel or scuba. Like you can relate to it. Your body, your brain understands like what it means to be underwater, and that that it's dangerous. And then we just throw some alien fish at you, and it's, uh, you know... And you die. <laughs> <laughs> and you die, yeah. You just get eaten you by a reaper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I played the first game on PlayStation. I know a lot of people were introduced to it via PC. Um, but now it's on multiple platforms, and the one that I kind of want to focus on is the Switch, because when I first heard about Subnautica and I was getting into it, I just thought it would be so great on Switch, and I'm sure a lot of people felt yeah. that as well. Uh, it feels fantastic on Switch. It's a great game for the Switch, um, I don't want to just focus on that, but what was it like to port this to other things, and was the plan always to have it on multiple systems across the, the suite of consoles? Uh, I would say that the plan was not always to have it on multiple platforms, and we would have been better served like making that plan clearly up front, but uh, you know, it was something that was, we were from the beginning committed to doing Xbox and PlayStation again, because mm -hmm. we had done it the first game. Um, Switch came a little later. I mean, we didn't think it was technically possible, to be honest. Like, I just, the tech is very PC-centric. It's, um, you know, it, it cuts corners in the way that, like, a PC game can cut corners and get away with it to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't architect, like, a cross-platform, memory-efficient streaming system. So it was a lot of work. And, um, yeah, we had to, we had to hire, um, you know, a lot of the port stuff was done externally. So um, we worked with uh, Shiny Shoe, this company in California, and, and Unity helped a bit, um, especially with the next-gen ports. Um, and, yeah, it just, it just was a, mostly a massive engineering effort. Because, um, yeah, the experience is pretty similar. Um, we did spend a bit more time kind of playing on like the, the core team, the creative team, mm -hmm. like played more like on console with game pads, getting a feel for what the experience is like. So um, yeah, I think it's also a bit friendlier for console players than the first the first game was. I'm gonna rattle off some questions for you, and these are the hard sure. ones. So hit me, speed round. Favorite biome. Favorite biome. Uh, um, uh, deep lily pads. Ooh, I like that one too. Yeah. It's very green. It's calming. Uh, Favorite, well, I'm going to go favorite fish first, and then I'll, I'll zone in on it. Uh, I mean, like, you mean like a small fish? It doesn't have to be a fish, I guess just favorite creature, but I'm saving the leviathans for a different question, so no leviathans. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean the, the vent garden is probably my favorite creature. Um, I, I wish we had done more with it, but... Yeah, just overall, like I love the big imaginative, like weird stuff. That's that's what that's what I'm into, not the face fighty stuff. Um, well, then. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite face? Uh, yeah, exactly. What's your favorite face body one, or least favorite? I guess because it's kind of hand in hand. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, like I can't be frightened by them because because <laughs> <laughs> you like, I've just seen like the shadow leviathan bite my face eight thousand <laughs> times. Like that, it uh, doesn't work anymore. Um, the Shadow Leviathan, as far as like a design, I think like a visual design, mm -hmm. I think is the most interesting and beautiful and unsettling. Yeah, yeah I like that one a lot. Uh, is Subnautica a horror game? 
Good question. Um, I think that's something we're going to have to figure out going forward. I don't Ooh. think so. I think fundamentally, Subnautica is an exploration game. That's that's what it really is about. And st even stuff like survival uh, is not as core as people seem as people think it is. But I don't know. I don't. Can we make a Subnautica that's not a survival game? It doesn't have like food and water and you know. Is that still Subnautica? So it's the same thing with with horror. Like. Uh, Below Zero, I think, is less focused on horror than mm -hmm. the first game, and the ways we do horror, kind of like it's like playing the same same old tune, you know. Fish bites your face. It's like okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if we, if, when we figure that out, that'll that we'll have to figure that out for the next one. And you know, if, we're, if it is a horror game or a terror game, we're gonna we're gonna have to do something different. Interesting. There's a lot of teases there. Uh, all right, the last question I have for you, and it's the most important yes. one to me personally. Sea monkeys. I hate them. Why? Oh, <laughs> I thought you were gonna hate the ice worm. No. Um, well, I do, but I hate the sea monkeys even more. You hate the sea monkeys more. Well, uh, you know, one sounds in your head. They just they bring you things. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Whoa. Yeah. They only, they only steal from you in the early game. Oh, okay. Well, see, I haven't gotten to the end game yet where they're helpful okay. for me. I've just been going on yeah. and slamming into them with my sea moth. So. Sea truck, sorry, second so yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. David, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. As I said, I'm a huge fan of this game. I encourage everyone to play this game if you have not played it and the first one. But uh, I'm also very excited to see what's coming, not only in the Subnautica-verse, if there are going to be a Subnautica 3, but also just from Unknown Worlds in general, because I think you have really um, planted a flag as one of the... the the leaders in this indie space at the moment and really doing interesting stuff and on a small scale able to make a massive impact so kudos to you and i'm really excited to see what's next cool thanks for all that uh excited to share it with you someday <laughs> very soon awesome thank you so much david appreciate it okay patrick cheers